this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you doing today? I hope things are going absolutely wonderful wherever you find yourself in this big, wild, crazy, wonky, fun, just awesome world. Before we get into today's little grand extravaganza, do me a favor, head over to the website www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter because it is super duper special. It is at The Hop Nerd one. And I'll just be honest with you, I don't use Twitter very much, maybe one of these days. So maybe if you guys all head over there and start following me on the uh, Twitter, then maybe I'll start doing some... uh, Tweeting, but I don't, I don't know. Am, am I the only one? Let me, let me throw that question out there. Am I the only one that just, I, I just do not find very much pleasure in Twitter. I, I just haven't, <laughs> haven't ever really enjoyed it. I've never enjoyed it. Um, but I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. So I'm there and, 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 and there you go. There you go. On today's episode. Ooh, let me say this first. So most of you have probably realized that I broke my social media fast. And I broke it for like five minutes, right? So let me throw that out there. Five minutes back in and then right back out. I kind of dropped a post and then logged off and ran away. That's that's pretty much what I did. Um, But I had to jump on LinkedIn, just LinkedIn. That's the only place I've been so far to share with you that WTFRM, right? You can piece that together. What the fuck really matters is up. It's on Amazon. It's there. You can go find it. I'm trying to pull it up right here on my little computer. WTFRM, a reflection on what is meaningful to workplace safety, dropped on September 30th. It's available in paperback. And so some of the posts and what I've shared with you before is that when this came out, which is out, it's out now, I was going to release the audiobook here on the podcast. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. I don't know if I'm going to throw in like, uh, you know, like, one or two chapters each time, if we're just going to do one each week and just kind of go from there. But that's what's coming up over the next few weeks, starting right now, right, right now today, I'm getting ready to jump into it right now. So the audiobook, the audiobook of WTF RM is completely free available here on the hot nerd podcast to all of our listeners, anyone that just wants to come hang out and listen to it. And you can kind of use it as a uh, try before you buy. You can kind of use it as just, I just want the free audiobook. That's cool too. But the one thing that I'd say is that if, if you listen to it and you find value in it and you got a few extra dollars laying around, go pick it up on Amazon. Go show us a little bit of love and support and pick up the book again on Amazon. WTFRM, What the Fuck Really Matters, a reflection on what is meaningful to workplace safety. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive right into it. And you know my production value here is not, uh, let's say just not super high, at least on the editing side of things. So I'm just going to run through it. I'm going to read it. And uh, you're going to get it from me, um, warts and all. So if I stumble as I'm, I'm reading some of what I've, I've written, then... I'm probably just going to leave it in there. How about that? That just, We're just going to leave it in there. So again, head up, head over to the website, www.thehopner.com. Check out all the social media stuff. And if you enjoy this book, please head over and pick up the copy on Amazon. It's super cheap, especially in the world of safety books. You know how I roll. Everything's always going to be under $20 as long as I can make that happen. Um, you're not going to see any $199 paperbacks <laughs> Here coming from me. So let's jump right in. WTFRM, a reflection on what is meaningful 
to workplace safety. Dedication to my daughter, Avery Mae Goodman, and to all of the legendary thinkers, safety practitioners, teachers, and mentors that have influenced me along the way. Because of your work, my work is possible. I stand on the shoulders of giants. Sam Goodman. A brief word before we begin. Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to this book. I hope that you find value contained within its pages. Whether you picked up this book out of curiosity or spite, out of boredom with or resentment for more normal approaches to worker safety, or because its cover or title garnered your attention, I hope that it aids you in your journey towards safety better. As with all that I publish, before we begin, I feel it necessary to lay out some of my intentions and to forewarn you with some pseudo-trigger warning about the contents that you will find contained within and to paint a picture of my views on the use of this book. Painting a clear picture of my intentions, at least an attempt at painting a clearer picture of my intentions, seems to have proven valuable in my previous works. First and most importantly, this book is not, to, is not meant to be taken blindly as some prescriptive method towards doing safety better. Seeking to solve complexity through simplif simplification never seems to work out very well, and the safety of work is a pretty complex topic indeed. So this is not some tick-and-flick checklist, some grand linear guide that you can funnel down the gullet of your organization in hopes that it will lead you to safety nirvana. My true hope is that it is useful to you, that it drives you to question, that it leaves you buzzing with curiosity, that it gives you another lens in which to view things, that it pushes you to think deeply about our approaches to influencing safety, and that you find it to be a valuable contributor in your quest towards safety better. The last thing that I would ever hope to do is create a blind belief, following, or adoption of my ever-evolving views on the safety of work. Our work worlds are far too unique and complex for some one-size-fits-all or stagnant and crystallized approach to worker safety, or much of anything else for that matter. I'm a firm believer in the old saying, there are a million right ways to do the same, same thing. To put a touch of my Appalachian twang on that, we can say, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. The intent of this book is not to prescribe to you the one right way to skin that cat. It is not to give you some magical list of tasks that will lead you into the safety promised land. Rather, my intent is to be thought-provoking, to leave you with more questions than answers, to grow your curiosity about seeking out better and more meaningful answers, to grow your curiosity around seeking out better and more meaningful questions, to send you on a journey of learning about what actually matters in your particular work world, and to drive you towards discovering your own way to skin cats. Additionally, my hope is that rather than seeking out some silver bullet to all that ails you as it relates to worker safety, some program that you can copy and paste into your organization, that this book drives you to seek out knowledge, wisdom, and know-how that is already contained within your organization. Your people already know what matters, the problems that they face, and they often hold the solutions. Look within your organization for learning. Your people hold much better answers than any high-priced consultant ever will, myself included. Since we're on the subject of me, allow me to expand a little on the subject of Sam Goodman. I have weaved bits and pieces of my personal experience as a leader, safety practitioner, nerd, and general member of Team Human throughout this book. Rather than vomiting my self-admiration all over the, these pages and explaining to you who and what I am, providing you with some boastful list of my accomplishments, first allow me to expand upon what and who I am not. I am not a safety guru, god, or expert. I am not the great knower of safety things. 
I do not hold all of the answers and I do not possess some miracle cure to all of your sources of pain around workplace safety. If that's what you were looking for when you picked up this book, my apologies. You will not find that here. Maybe you can re-gift this or use it as kindling. At my core, I am simply a human-centered safety practitioner, a betterment nerd, an overall believer that work shouldn't suck, even the stuff at work that relates to safety. I dedicate the vast majority of my time and energy into those things. I'm in constant pursuit of doing safety better, even if that means stepping on some of our most sacred beliefs about safety, even if that means toppling some of our most sacred safety cows. Because of my refusal to submit to the current safety political landscape, because I refuse to cower in the shadow of big safety and refuse to be fearful of challenging our most hallowed beliefs, because of my disgust towards accepting things how they have always been, because of my refusal to tiptoe around sacred safety ideologies, many of which are horrific and harmful tools of blame and shame, because I regularly exclaim bullshit when I see bullshit, I get quite a bit of heat. Some have called me a provocateur, an asshole, an asshat, a disruptor, or flippant, all of which contain some bits of truth. But these are titles that I'll happily wear. They tell me that I'm on the right path. Where there is pain, there is growth. Pain points are starting points. They often lead you towards rot that is buried deep beneath the surface. So you might know me as an anti-hero, an asshole, or maybe a villain, but I'm really just a guy on a mission to make the world a better place to work and to make safety suck just a little bit less. On to our trigger warning. Not that I think that it will make much of a difference or that I believe in their use, but uh, here we go. As I mentioned, I tend to go where my thoughts lead me, even if that means stepping on some toes or being a little offensive from time to time. I have beliefs, opinions, and thoughts that I often find easiest to illustrate by picking at problematic sores and scabs. I like to compare and contrast where we have been with where we are at and where we hope to go, and I often do that by highlighting the absurd. As a dear friend once said about me, he has mastered the art of illustrating absurdity by being absurd. I'm not great at taking compliments, but I'll gladly take that one. Because of that, my directness and other gnarly bits of my approach, I feel the need to forewarn you if the handful of preceding paragraphs about challenging hallowed safety beliefs have already left you on edge, if my profane directness has already left you a frantic and emotional mess, if a statement like, not all accidents are preventable, leaves you clenching this book so tightly that the pages are tearing under the tension of your grip, this warning, yeah, it's for you. But shouldn't we be able to have a conversation, even if our views are opposing, without being fearful that it might cause some horrific emotional trauma to the involved parties? Can we not accept that most of us are on the same mission? The fact is, most of us are pursuing ways to do safety better. Full stop. Can we not rally behind that idea, even if our thoughts differ on just on how we might accomplish that? Does challenging the stagnant and stale safety status quo really cause certain leaders and safety practitioners to lock themselves away weeping about the mean things said about their horrid approaches to people? Should we not seek out truth and betterment, even if it causes ourselves or others some mild discomfort? Are we not adults? Can we not have open and meaningful conversations? I guess this trigger warning has turned into an anti-trigger warning. Rather, this trigger warning has turned into a rallying cry for more honest and open communication, even if it offends the tender sensibilities of a few. In the absence of communication, war emerges. This statement has really stuck with me as of late. I first heard this quote from Jordan Peterson on his podcast episode entitled Radical Ideology in the Nihilistic Void with Douglas Murray. 
While this quote was said in passing during a deep discussion on the current political divide, its powerful sentiment rings true well beyond the scope in which it was used. It has echoed in my head since hearing it, and it is very fitting for the current state of occupational safety and health. The world of safety is in turmoil. We have broken ourselves up into pseudo-political safety factions. We have abandoned free thought, reason, and nuance in exchange for cookie-cutter platforms constructed for us by others. We bolt these pre-constructed ideologies onto ourselves like armor, we raise the flag of our current chosen team, we go to war over our crystallized beliefs, and we are more than willing to duke it out to the death for our chosen side. Rather than communication, we feud and fight. We have descended into a war of safety beliefs. What now? Can we reach an armistice? Can we reach a truce? Do we seek out common ground, a common mission, or do we continue with our endless war? What is the cure? In the absence of communication, war emerges. Let's take a stab at rewriting that. In the presence of communication, war recedes. What's my point? Where strong communication exists, war is unlikely. Where we seek to understand each other, war is highly unlikely. Understanding. Understanding gained through open and honest communication is curative. Leaning into communication, leaning into real and meaningful conversation that grows our understanding of each other, that is the path forward. Rather than fighting for our respective teams or destroying each other to prove how right and righteous we are and our sacred safety beliefs are, we must, we need to come together to seek out better and to seek out truth. We need communication, not war. Let's face it, no particular safety ideology holds all of the answers, nor is it the root of all evil, nor is it all that plagues us as organizations, nor is it the one right way. Look, if something is right, say it. If something is wrong, say it. But rather than warring with others, we must communicate, dissent, debate, explain, and teach. We must communicate more and fight less. We must communicate, dissent, debate, explain, and teach rather than shit on exile, disavow, and disembowel. People are not the enemy of better. Crystallized ideologies are the real enemy of better. A healthy dose of understanding, understanding that is only gained through the ability to communicate with others. That is how we overcome that enemy. With all of that now out of the way, allow me to end back at the beginning. Thank you for taking the time to pick up this book. It truly means a lot to me. In addition to this book, I've authored several other books relating to safety, such as Safety Sucks, The Bullshit and the Safety Profession They Don't Tell You About, and Safety Sucks, The Manifesto. If you find value in this particular work, I'm certain that you'll find value in the others, along with this podcast, the Hot Nerd Podcast, that I host weekly. Thank you for joining me on this mission to make safety suck less. Enjoy the book. Introduction. The penalty for planning the wrong thing in the wrong place is death. Cassandra Dance. Do you ever have flashbacks to pivotal moments in your life? A certain smell, feeling, or setting suddenly transports you back in time and causes you to relive a particular experience from your past. A flashback, also known as an involuntary current memory, is a psychological phenomenon which we re-experience certain moments from our lives. While flashbacks can vary in lucidity and duration, sometimes only presenting as a brief moment of memory or feeling, and in more extreme cases as full-blown immersive experiences, they're often associated with moments of intense emotion, such as happiness or sadness, or from past traumas or deeply impactful experiences and the like. These sometimes terrifying and sometimes nostalgic experiences can be induced by a variety of triggers. A certain fragrance might lure your mind away into remembering a special moment you shared with a loved one. A particular place might draw out bits of memories of a special occasion long forgotten. Or a momentary feeling might cause your mind to drift towards the recollection of a painful experience. 
personally, when I find myself outside in the early morning twilight hours, I am near instantly transported back to my grade school days. The warm glow of the rising sun and the chirping of waking birds accompanied by the cool morning, morning air always reminds me of my time as a kid waiting on the school bus. As I look back on these minuscule moments of my youth, these now fond memories of waiting for the school bus, I'm certain that they were not nearly as pleasurable in the moment. We're such strange creatures, the way our minds cling to, reshape, and reinterpret bits of our past to influence our present state and our future. I can vividly recall particular turning points, traumas, and fond memories from throughout my life and my career, seemingly small fleeting moments, but moments that shaped my beliefs and the overall trajectory of my life, both personally and at work. These moments that changed everything, either directly in the moment or over time or through reevaluation, reinterpret reinterpretation throughout the course of my life after the experience. One such specific memory of a not-so-great moment in my career as a safety practitioner, one that I often find myself horrifically flashing back to, starts on a warm and windy, typical Arizona summer day. The sky above was clear and blue. It hadn't a speck of a single cloud. I can still hear the murmur of the surrounding crowd. I can still feel the sharp crunch of the gravel under my feet. I can still recall the smoky aroma of barbecue sizzling away on a nearby smoker. And I can still feel sweat dripping down my face from the hot sun pouring down upon my hard hat. This wakey nightmare had not been born from some horrific workplace event or tragedy. Everyone was very much alive and well. There had not been some explosion or meltdown. No one had been fired or ruined their career. It was actually quite the opposite. This pivotal and crippling moment was birthed from a celebration. The truly impactful bit of this experience grew more from the realization that celebration brought to the surface, a realization that left me questioning nearly everything. There had been no expense spared for this grand shindig. Trophies were purchased and engraved. Thousands of t-shirts had been acquired and the caterers had been given a blank check. Company executives from far and wide had descended upon the location and we even brought in a professional DJ to pump up the jams as to give it that real party feel. What had we accomplished that was so spectacular? What could possibly have led to such a grand gathering? Surely we had done something big. We did do something. Well, I guess the real answer to why lies in what we didn't do. We had just gone a year without an OSHA recordable injury. We had finally achieved the most sacred of safety accomplishments. We had finally cared enough. We had finally tried hard enough and were finally safe enough to get to zero. Our hard work had finally paid off and we were now reaping the rewards of entering into safety utopia. We had built an altar to zero. We built it out of heaps of caring more and buckets full of trying harder. We built it on a foundation of sticks, carrots, and golden rules, and our unwavering commitment to our God Zero had finally led us to the safety promised land. We could now give out treasured safety relics. We could sacrifice hogs to consume their smoky, fatty goodness, and we could do it all in the name of Zero. After years of the stick, we were finally rewarded with the golden carrot. As I stood there for the cringeworthy group photo, holding a shiny gold trophy in front of the Safety Excellent Zero is Possible banner with the rest of the management team, I was overcome with dread and shame. Although in protest, there I was, smiling for the cameras and holding a relic to our safety god, Zero. What a shit show, I recall thinking to myself. At this time in my career, I had only recently been exposed to the ideas of doing safety differently. After years of frustration with more traditional approaches to safety, I was gifted a copy of Sidney Decker's Safety Differently by a friend in the months prior to this event. It had set my mind on fire. I now found myself on a quest to learn everything that I could about doing safety better. But for years prior to discovering the works of Decker, Conklin, and many, 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 many more, I had been indoctrinated into traditional safety. 
I was raised in a culture that viewed safety as an outcome to be managed, as a bolt-on attachment, aka safety culture, that was separate from other bits of total organizational culture, an environment that viewed stand-downs and increased observations or oversight as a way to manage people and their pesky behaviors, a work world that firmly believed that through this stick-and-carrot behavior modification process, we could finally achieve zero, and that once zero was finally realized, we would discover safety enlightenment. Looking back, there are a few key tenets of this indoctrination into a traditional safety that now stand out. Ideas that were present at each organization that I found myself working. One, all incidents are preventable. Two, little bad things lead to or cause big bad things in the future. Three, people are problematic. If we can finally fix people, fix bad people or replace them with better people, then all will be well. Four, management knows best always. Five, everything that says safety or is even remotely linked to safety matters and it matters a lot. Six, you get better at safety or increase safety performance through a continually increasing dose of safety. And seven, if you can measure it, manipulate it, steer it, or influence it, then you always should. These horrid tenets, and many, many more, were ever-present acting as a compass for organizational direction and as a basis for safety management systems. As a young, dumb, and naive safety practitioner, I soaked all of this up. I soaked it up, I believed it, and I promoted it. I was taught that this was my place, that this was my role, that this was my responsibility, and that this was how we would manifest better safety performance. I had seasoned leaders guiding me down this path. Respected and accomplished professionals were my shepherds. These tenants were not only common, but they were also deeply ingrained values of the companies and industries that I served. Those who lived these values, or at least pretended to extremely well, were celebrated, praised, and promoted. Who was I to question, especially in the first few years of my career? Why would I not believe it? Those much more seasoned and experienced must surely know the way. Why would I not believe it? On paper and without digging deeper into these beliefs, they seem so simple, doable, and sound. Why would I not believe it? I would certainly be derelict in my duties and insubordinate if I challenged what those above and around me had previously determined to be good and just. I did believe it. I believed it for a little while at least. But after several years of seeing this practice of, ins of safety insanity, a practice that says we get better at safety by doing the same old tired safety things, just harder or better, a belief that is rooted in the tenets of traditional safety I've already mentioned, fall flat time and time again, I was done. I, do, I don't recall the specific moment in time that this occurred, but somewhere along the way, I found my breaking point. It's like I woke up one day and suddenly realized that I'd been sold a bill of goods. I had been lied to. Initially, I struggled with the realization. It often kept me up at night. I was in a state of turmoil. I was frustrated, burned out, and tired. I found myself torn between staying in the safety profession to keep fighting the good fight or giving it all up for greener pastures and an opportunity to actually make things better elsewhere. As I reflect back on those days, there was one common thought that engulfed my mind. It was a question that I asked myself over and over, a gut-wrenching question indeed. Have I wasted the first few years of my professional existence on something meaningless? What a soul-crushing thought to grapple with. It was often followed by questions like, have I done more harm than good? Or simply, what's the damn point? This internal questioning would eventually lead me to the conclusion that I want to do anything, and I mean anything, other than safety. These feelings came to a head at this grand zero extravaganza. As I stood there accepting an award for dramatically lowering incident rates, as employees were stuffed to the brim with pulled pork and ribs, as t-shirts and trophies were given away, as executives kissed babies and shook hands, as juicy bonuses were paid out, and as we all bowed and prayed to our god zero, an employee suffered a life-altering injury elsewhere at the location. How could this be? 
We had made it to zero. We had only had a small handful of minor scrapes and bumps. How, how, how? Of course, that handful of first aids were blamed. Of course, the involved employee was shamed and disciplined. Of course, they demanded greater leadership oversight along with bigger sticks and juicier carrots. Of course, the company chose to again double down on the same old stale, near useless, useless traditional safety things. Of course. But quitting was no longer an option. I had to make things better. I remember my, my thought clearly, a thought that has become a general rule for my career and my life. I'll do everything in my power to make things better or I'll get fired trying. This is a personal motto that I live to by this day. The old tried and true had failed me yet again, but this time things were different. I was on a quest to do safety better. Since then, I started the Hot Nerd Podcast along with authoring the infamous Safety Sucks book series, both of which explore how we can do safety better and make the world a better place to work. As I dug deeper and deeper, as I learned and explored more, as I experimented and innovated, as I worked to implement human and organizational performance at various locations and organizations, as I wrote books and started podcasts and had conversation after conversation, I found myself coming back to a simple yet extremely powerful question. What actually matters? What matters? What really, really matters a lot? Out of all the things that we seek to touch, impact, manipulate, and influence, what's actually important? What is trash? What is treasure? What is treasure that we have convinced ourselves is trash? And what is trash that we have painted gold and pretend to be treasure? What is real gold? And what is fool's gold? How much of what we do is meaningful? How much of it is meaningless? And worse yet, how much of it causes more harm than good? We've typically operated under a general rule of thumb that states, we do safety better by doing more safety. I'm nearly certain that you have felt this in your particular working environment. I'm confident that you have felt the constant buzz of questions around what's next in safety. There is a perpetual desire for new, 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 but there is an equally matched desire to never part with the old or break away from the status quo. The idea of ceasing to do something, getting rid of a rule or safety slogan, or even replacing something with something better is near blasphemy. We are safety junkies, addicts, and we want more and more, but only more of the same. We are constantly creating more useless bits and bobs for our so-called safety management systems to feed our addiction. A procedure here, a program there, we stuff in some new checklist and observation card, and we are, we are ever expanding and bloating the same old useless things. But have they worked? Herein lies a good bit of the problem. Traditional safety has worked good enough. Over the years, our drive to prevent bad things from happening has indeed worked. More traditional approaches to worker safety have worked well enough for us to accept them as the truth. A quick examination of data around occupational injuries and fatalities will typically demonstrate a sharp decline in the total number of significant injuries and deaths over time. For many, if not most organizations, injuries have been reduced from regularly occurring excruciating maimings and horrifying fatalities to a handful of bumps and scratches, with the horrific deaths and dismemberments now occurring with much less frequency, but remaining surprisingly consistent. At the very least, these types of events have become rarities for most companies, horrible anomalies that hide within their normal work. To add another layer of complexity to this problem, the sources of these rarely occurring and extremely high outcome events often only become obvious after their occurrence. If we could have imagined it, we would have done something about it. If we could have dreamed it up, we would have prevented it. We're often left holding a mixed bag of somewhat frequent lower level events such as bumps and bruises and extremely infrequent high outcome events such as fatalities or life altering injuries. So we seek to manage and manipulate what we think we can. We touch what we can see. 
lacking the ability to uh, lacking the ability to imagine, much less predict these type of extreme outcome events, has left us stumped. Coupling this bewilderment with a few key tenets of traditional safety, like all incidents are preventable, little bad things lead to or cause big bad things in the future, and people are problematic. If we can finally fix bad people or replace them with better people, then all will be well. Causes the reasoning behind our traditional approaches to influencing safety to become clear clearer. If we honestly believe that small events have predictive or causal capacity, that our past performance directly influences our future performance, that people, that bad people cause bad things to happen, and that all of these small events can and should be prevented as to prevent bigger and more catastrophic events in the future, then the logic of traditional approaches to safety begins to come into focus. It all seems so simple, clean, and doable. We think... If we could just eliminate those frequent lower-level events such as bumps and bruises, then surely this means we are eliminating those extremely high, those extremely infrequent high-outcome events such as fatalities or life-altering injuries. We often take this thinking farther. If minor injuries lead to major injuries, then surely close calls or near injuries lead to minor injuries. To prevent minor injuries, we must prevent close calls or near injuries. To prevent close calls or near injuries, we must prevent or fix bad behaviors and human error. These beliefs painfully highlight our flawed assumptions about how bad things happen at work, and more problematic yet, our typical traditional views on the human element of our organizations, beliefs that see people as problems to be managed. When we run this logic to its end, we find ourselves left with a hyper-focus on what we believe to be the ultimate root of our events, human error. We believe that this human error or poor behavior leads to close calls and minor injuries, lower-level events that we believe have some predictive capacity of more horrific things yet to come. Our response to these events, our corrective actions, seem just as simple, sensible, and doable as our overall traditional approaches at face value. It all, it's all so delightfully clean and linear. Simply eliminate lower-level occurrences by removing a piece of the equation, human error. This logic tells us that if we eliminate poor performance by people, this will eliminate non-consequential events, which in turn will eliminate events with lower level consequences, which will then prevent larger and more catastrophic occurrences. Hence, our worshiping of zero. As it relates to our cures, we believe we have run out of ground. We have installed all the guarding that we can. We have replaced or re-engineered obviously dangerous or sketchy employee-eating equipment with safer options. We installed a guardrail around that hole that could easily swallow a 1976 Volkswagen Scirocco. We added this, we took away that. We pushed here, we pulled there. We have picked and eaten all the low-hanging fruit that we can see. With this preventative thirst still remaining, this deeply rooted and near insatiable desire to predict and prevent all, this deeply ingrained stance that says failure is strictly forbidden, where do we go next? We touch what we can see. We influence what we think we can. With the more obvious areas of our influence fading, and with heaps of frustration building, we throw up our hands and meander our way towards just be more safe. We land on people being the last frontier of our preventative efforts, the last great challenge for us to conquer. We land on people, not with hopes of helping them, creating more air absorbent systems, or, or trying to better serve their needs, or making it easier to be safe. Rather, we veer off into the land of curing them of their pesky humanity. People are viewed as the problem, and we solve problems. We really, really like blame, even when we say we don't. We like finding a villain. We like punishing sinners and wrongdoers. It really seems like we're accomplishing something, and it feels really good to boot. As it relates to worker safety, we love to apply blame. Blame that is swiftly followed by punishment, thinking that through this painful extraction of flesh that we will fix those foolish and uncaring people that hurt themselves on the job. 
Unfortunately, we typically land on this misguided attempt at fixing people. We try to punish our way into excellence. If only they had. Or if they were just more aware. Or if they only followed the rules, we'll say as we respond to events. We'll follow up these useless statements with just as useless and meaningless fixes, such as caring more, trying harder, and when those ultimately let us down, beating people into submission. We start from a position of not trusting our employees. We view people as the cause of our problems and the creators of our pain points. This leads us to feel the need to do safety to them. We view safety as something that management creates from above through an ever-increasing application of rules, programs, measures, initiatives, oversight, micromanaging, and enforcement, all intended to rein in those bothersome, undependable people and their repugnant behaviors. Rather than creating safety, we create a weary, fearful, and untrusting workforce that feels undervalued, underappreciated, and lacking the ability to be honest. Rather than creating safety, we create a clutter loop, a self-affirming and seemingly never-ending clutter and bureaucracy-generating perfect storm. How this plays out at work. The little things like bumps and scrapes lead to more significant events like amputations and fatalities. If we have, insert some arbitrary number here, of hand lacerations, then at some point we'll have a fatal event because of a hand laceration. So we must predict and prevent all of these to prevent a fatal event. Since we've typically run out of preventative ground by this point, we'll usually take this farther to say, we have too many hand lacerations. If we do not get these numbers down, then we'll eventually have a hand laceration fatality. Poor behaviors on the part of the worker are at the heart of this issue. We must do a stand down, mandatory hand safety training, acquire bright pink gloves so employees are more aware of their hands. We must introduce and incentivize a hand safety metric. We must draft additional hand safety rules, and we must severely punish any wrongdoer that we find. And just like that, yet another never-ending punitive and useless safety program is born. We'll beat, blame, shame, and tell people to try harder. We'll scream at our employees to care more about hand safety and to care more about not hurting themselves. We'll attempt to punish and scare our people into getting better, and we'll convince ourselves that it's working. Our numbers will indeed go down. They will decrease on paper. But while managers and leaders are patting each other in the back for a job well done, their workforces are walking around on eggshells crippled with fear and with pockets full of blood. We have been left scratching our heads as it relates to safety for an awfully long time. In response to our bewildered frustration, we have sought to do more and more, thinking that more will eventually have some curative effect. We attempt to solve our problems, to outwit our sources of pain around safety of work by crushing them with the sheer volume size of our response.